Welcome to the Business Finishing School Podcast, the Financial Battleship Edition. Learn how to regain liquidity, use, and control of your cash while harnessing the power of uninterrupted compounding. Become a wealth creator. Here's your host, President and CEO of Living Wealthy Financial, Teresa Kuhn. Good afternoon, Business Finishing School community. As you know, at Business Finishing School, we believe there are three legs of the BFS stool, financial success, mindset, and principles and tactics. And we talk about each one of those on the second, third, and fourth Tuesday of each month. So because today is the second Tuesday, our topic is financial success. This is Teresa Kuhn, and today I am with Christine Lucan. And the title of our podcast is very interesting. The title is The Battle for Your Money Begins in Your Mind. What you're going to walk away with today after spending time with Christine and I is an awareness about how to truly heal the root of your issues when it comes to money so that you can have the life that you want financially. So Christine, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into this whole world of healing people's issues, emotional issues when it comes to money. You know, I had to learn these lessons the hard way. So I did not start my career in finances or financial coaching because I've always done things perfectly. In fact, it's quite the opposite. So I crashed and burned financially at age 26, despite having an accounting degree, despite working for my family's business, which is a multi-million dollar business as the accountant. And yet I was bouncing my checks at home. And it was because even though I knew all this stuff in my head, I had allowed my heart to hijack my wallet. And what I mean by that is I was engaged to a guy who had terrible money habits. He was in and out of jobs and even in and out of jail. And I thought that if I loved him enough, he would change. And he did. He got worse. And so by the time I was ready to break off that engagement, I owed three different payday lenders. I was behind on my car payment. If it's possible for a credit score to be negative, mine probably was. And I literally had no money to move out. It was my rock bottom moment. And so I ended up having to move back in with my parents for several months to get everything back in order. As you can imagine, there was a lot of shame and embarrassment around the mess that I had gotten myself into because I was someone who should have known better. And so I learned firsthand that money is emotional and we can't take that out of our finances as much as we would like to. And as much as, you know, certain financial professionals have said, oh, just make your money decisions logically, it's just not reality. And it was very interesting because about a year after I published my book, Money is Emotional, I found out that scientists had proven that the moment of decision happens in the same part of our brain that processes emotion. So so we literally can't take the emotions out of it. But what we can learn to do is to identify those emotions. We can learn how to heal those emotions. And we can actually learn how to harness our positive emotions so that we can achieve that financial life that we really want. 
Wow. What a beginning. I'm going to ask you a question because your family had a business. Did you grow up with money? Like, did you grow up in an affluent home? No, we were very middle class, very middle class, hardworking. We didn't have great financial need, but we certainly were not spoiled. And I was raised to have good financial habits. But, you know, sometimes we get ourselves into situations, especially when we get into relationships that aren't healthy, that those emotional factors can override our common sense. Would you say you were raised in a home that was like the millionaire next door, where there was net worth, there was wealth, there was affluence, but you guys or your family, your parents raised you to respect money and frugally and didn't overspend? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, if you were to meet my dad today, you saw him in the local grocery store, you would have zero clue that he was a multimillionaire. So trying to get a picture of your background. And then in your 20s, do you think that your issues with money would have surfaced even without this codependent relationship with someone who was terrible with money, who apparently you tried to save the relationship with money? I don't know that they would have. It's like I knew the right things to do in my head, but this relationship was so emotionally charged with both positive, because obviously, I loved him. I wouldn't have been with him for seven years if I didn't, but it was still a lot of dysfunction in there as well. And the money was just part of the problem. There were other things going on in there like substance abuse and emotional manipulation, which I counsel a lot of women who are coming out of divorce. And usually money is wrapped up in these other issues as well. It's not uncommon to see that. Absolutely. I think how the outcome, people's financials, where people are from a financial perspective, is just a symptom of underlying problems, underlying issues. All right. So how did you dig yourself out of your hole? And absolutely, there's got to be a lot of shame, right? Here you're an accountant, which is a difficult profession, right? A difficult degree to achieve. And you're supposed to have a logical sense about money. And you left a relationship. You had no money. You had your rock bottom, which I love J.K. Rowling's quote around rock bottom. It becomes the foundation from which we can rebuild our life, which I love that saying. And you move back in with your parents. A lot of shame. A lot of can't believe I'm here. Mm-hmm. How did you dig yourself out? I've told you that I call myself the financial lifeguard because I feel like I am teaching people how to rescue their financial dignity. And so that was modeled to me by my dad. You know, he was the one that sat down with me in a very non judgmental way and just gave me those baby steps. Because to me, when I looked at my finances, everything was emotional, right? It's like the department store bill that my ex-fiance helped me run up. You know, I could see the charge on there for the Valentine's Day present that he bought me. Now I was stuck paying for. Like I got really emotional <laughs> when I saw that. But to my dad, it was just like, this is one bill in the list of bills. Here's what you owe. Here's what your payment is. Just do these two things and then we'll meet again. And I needed that because when I looked at my finances, it was like walking into your house after a tornado. There's just so much mess. You don't even know where to start and you just want to turn around and walk away. But because he was able to just give me those baby steps and say, just take care of this first and then the second and like 
just focus on that and then we'll meet again. You know, he met me where I was. He didn't make me feel bad about my money mistakes. And so because he didn't make me feel bad about them, I was open to learning and I was open to get direction from him. When I talk to people about this money shame cycle, what happens is people make a mistake, either it could be a situation like mine, but it could also be somebody made a mistake just because they didn't know any better. You know, their parents didn't teach them the principles of investing or whatever, and, and they make some catastrophic mistake. So they make a mistake, they feel this shame, and I want to express that there is a difference between shame and just feeling bad about your mistake. I mean, sometimes when we make a mistake, it's okay for us to feel bad and to say, I made a mistake. But shame says, I made a mistake and I'm a bad person because of it. So we're basically internalizing that mistake rather than saying, this was an unfortunate incident. Now we're saying, I'm a bad person because of this. So there is that difference. But when we have that shame, then it makes us want to hide. And when we hide, we don't get the help that we need. And then if we don't get the help that we need, you can see how this perpetuates the cycle because when we don't reach out to someone and we don't get help, then inevitably we're going to make another mistake and then the cycle repeats. So you were extremely fortunate that your father knew exactly how to help you in that situation from a very non-judgmental place. I think many parents would go to owning that shame and owning what you did and how they failed and in turn project out what a bad decision it was that you made and look where you ended up and how could you do this? I mean, there's just, and all the things that you were probably saying to yourself, right? And so how brilliant that he knew exactly what prescription you needed to heal Yes, exactly. And so, you know, it really wasn't the external factors. It wasn't really him telling me this is how to do a budget or this is how to save money. I knew that. I had a degree in that. Like I was helping to create a, a budget for a multi-million dollar corporation. I knew how to do it. But the problem is I didn't know how to manage my emotions around the finances. And so one of the things that I tell people is it's really important to pay attention to how you feel as you interact with money and to pay attention to the things that you say and the things that you think relative to money because that can give you clues as to what's going on under the surface when it comes to your finances. I love the example that you led with that you'd open up your credit card statement and you're looking at the charge in the department store for the Valentine's gift that your fiance, former fiance gave you. Because I think most people can relate to the emotion that would be generated from seeing that and you're the one that moved out, you're with your parents, you're still having to pay it. It's like being smacked in the face multiple times. So that's yeah. a perfect example of how we can be emotionally charged when it comes to money and the shame around it. And what you're saying now is be objective and listen to your thoughts because our thoughts, what precede our results with money. Right. Tell me how you think and I can predict your behavior. Right. And most people don't pay any attention to this because a lot of this is stored in our subconscious. Maybe we heard our parents or different authority figures in our life say things like money is the root of all evil, or you have to work really hard to make money. We can have all this stuff that is stored in our unconscious mind that's kind of running in the background. 
and is triggering these emotions because a lot of times we feel like, oh, emotions come out of nowhere. All of a sudden I feel angry or all of a sudden I feel upset or sad. But the truth of the matter is there's always something that precedes it. You've thought about something, you know, you've replayed a scenario in your mind that made you mad, which was essentially what I did when I looked at that bill. I'm imagining my ex swiping my credit card to buy my present. You know, it was that thought that was triggering that emotion. The fact of the matter is there was a charge. It was in my name. It's going to have to be paid. And the fact of the matter is he's not going to pay it. So I could continue to be upset about it, but that doesn't really solve the problem. And it was very interesting because I've actually like created a new method for paying off debt based on this, and I call it the volcano method. Essentially what it is, is you pay off the debt that pisses you off the most. Rather than paying off the one that like has the highest interest rate or has the smallest balance or whatever the different methods are, I've found, especially when people are coming out of a situation like divorce, that they have much more emotional satisfaction if they can pay that one off first. I love that. It's very real life. It's not academic. It's just reality because there is so much emotion around money. And so the financial coaching that you do, the clients that you see, would you say the majority of them have a lot of debt that they need to pay off and basically build up a foundation for finances? Like, tell me about your typical client experience. Well, it's very interesting because most of my clients are actually high income. Many of them are business owners and they're running very successful businesses, but they're not putting the time and attention on their personal finances that they need to. So they're very busy running their businesses. They may have very complicated and full family and financial lives that, I mean, maybe this is their second marriage. They have several kids. They're going to private school. It's more a matter of they're not taking the time to proactively manage their personal finances. And then they have their financial planner or their CPA tell them, you're not on track to retire or you owe this debt to the IRS. You know, I mean, I've had clients who have had six figures of IRS debt and it's like, you're making $300,000 a year. You should not have IRS debt. It's more a matter of disorganization and they're just kind of flying by the seat of their pants, a lot of them. And occasionally it is somebody who came from a situation like mine where they've gone through divorce. Maybe they haven't been the one that's managed the personal finances on a day-to-day basis and they're just feeling really overwhelmed by having to do that by themselves. And it's not that they're incompetent It's just that they don't have the confidence to take control and manage their day-to-day finances in a way that feels good to them. So what happens if someone doesn't figure out their emotional relationship with money? They're going to continue to ask the question, what's wrong with me? What is wrong with me that I can't figure this out? And that's the wrong question. The right question is, what happened to me? What has happened to me that is causing me to interact with my money in this way. And the only way we're gonna figure that out is if we dig into that emotional stuff and say, what am I thinking about money? What am I saying about money? And where did that come from? What is that story in my past that maybe had this emotional trigger for me? So for example, I had a client who as a child, her brother was probably six or seven years older than her. 
she had taken all of the cash that she had gotten for birthday gifts, chores, etc. And I think she hid it inside of one of her dolls. And so she was probably about five or six. Well, her older brother stole that money from her. So she told her parents she did eventually get it back. But it was interesting because what was manifesting in her adult life was that she couldn't get herself to save money. And we finally figured out that the root of that was that for her, saved money wasn't safe. If you save money, if you have extra money, someone's going to come and take it even though that wasn't true as an adult. And so basically what we did was we explored that and we said, what are all the ways that's not true now? Like how can we save some money and put it in a place that is safe? We actually did some forgiveness work relative to her brother. Rewrite the story with a happy ending. Rather than her brother stealing the money from her, maybe her brother asked to borrow some of it and then he paid it back with interest. And then rewriting that story as something that could be positive. So if you don't look back at some of those things, it's very interesting how the past can continue to affect us into the future if we leave it unexamined. And of course, this is true in every area of our life. And Money for Life is about faith and family and finances and your future self. And this conversation is about finances and your future self. If you don't make a change from the life that you're living today, you're going to have the same life in your future. You want to improve, you've got to make a change. But what you just said is true in every area of our life. Unless we examine where we are and understand the root cause Mm -hmm. of why we act a certain way, we're not going to have any changes in our life. Our future self is going to be the same person, just older. Right, exactly. And you know, that woman was just feeling like, what's wrong with me that I can't make myself save? And once we uncovered that root and we healed that for her, it was like night and day. All of a sudden, it was like she was emotionally freed up to say, if I open a savings account and I put money in there, my name's the only name on there. No one's going to take it. It was just amazing to see how the external things manifest so fast once that root is healed. So a quote that you mentioned. Well, I'll let you go ahead and say it. Yes. The battle for your money begins in your mind. Yes. The title of our podcast today, and it does. It begins in your mind. It's emotional. And for sure, you've got to do the work in order to change. So what actionable items before we sign off today can you suggest to our audience? Yeah. So one of my best exercises that I do with all of my clients is I have them write down five to 10 things that they say about money that are negative. So just keep a pad of paper or start a note in your phone. And when you catch yourself saying something negative about money, like, oh, I'll never get these credit cards paid off, or you got to work really hard to save money, write those down because Those are clues as to what those emotionally charged events from your past, those are clues as to what those events are. So you can actually revisit those and peel them. You know, those that study neuropsychology, right? The neuroscientists say that we have about 12 to 15,000 thoughts a day and 95% of those thoughts are the same exact ones. Christine, any ideas? 
idea what percentage of those thoughts are about money? I don't know because I feel like money permeates so many areas of our lives. I mean, we can't go a single day without either making money, spending money, managing money, or interacting with our money in some way. So I don't know what the percentage is, but I'm sure it's a sizable amount. I agree. I think it's a very sizable amount. And with what you just said about the daily life, and it's also the concern about, well, I want a different life. I want a different house. I want a different car. I want wardrobe, retirement, college, weddings, how to pay for all of that. And that permeates so much of our life. Yep. The One of the reasons why I so enjoy this conversation today is so much of financial education and financial information that's out there, and there is a ton of it. So it's not for lack of information that people struggle with money and finances, but all that information is typically geared towards the separation of you and your money because they're looking for a piece of that money. It's about taking risk with that money, investing that money. So it's not about healing your relationship with money. And sometimes you'll see the practical advice, you know, save your money, save a certain percentage, you know, et cetera. Well, if you've got some serious wounds around money and you're thinking about money thousands of times a day, even if it's 20%, 20% of 12,000 thoughts a day is a lot of thoughts, right? It is. And if you keep thinking the wrong way about money and you're charged emotionally around money, well, no wonder so many people struggle with money. And it has nothing to do with how much people make. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I see people who make very modest salaries and their net worths very strong. And yet I've coached people who have made twice as much money as my husband and I make and have a fraction and sometimes even negative net worth, you know, and I'm just thinking like, how does this happen? But I do, I know how it happens. They're just broke at a higher level. They are. And they're broke with nicer wardrobe and nicer cars and nicer homes, but it's a facade. And there is absolute hope for people. There absolutely is hope for people. And just the awareness and having this conversation, knowing that there are people out there that can help you heal your issues yes. with money. And I bet that once people heal their relationship with money, Christine, you see that they heal in other areas of their life. Yes, absolutely. It's interesting because people will like lose weight while we're coaching together as it's like this little side benefit doesn't happen for everybody. But it's like when you start to improve one area of your life, those habits build on each other and you have this upward spiral rather than the negative downward spiral. So your new advertising, your new marketing needs to be heal your money issues and lose weight. Well, I can't guarantee that because it doesn't happen for everyone. Of course. But they're net worth always increases. So that's something that I can guarantee if people are engaging in the process and doing the homework that yes, that absolutely will happen. Absolutely love it. Well, Christine, please let our listeners know where they can learn more about you and your process. Absolutely. Well, the easiest way to find me is moneyisemotional.com. That'll take you to my website. It'll actually take you to the page where I've got my book and you can download the first couple chapters of the book to check out Money is Emotional. And that'll give you some insight on a little bit more on what we were talking about today on the battle of your money begins right here. Right here in your mind. Well, thank you for joining us. And this is your host, Teresa Kuhn and Christine Lucan. We will sign off for today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to the Business Finishing School podcast. 
where we teach you business growth simplified. For more information on Business Finishing School or their Business Growth Summit event, visit businessfinishingschool.com.